Hey everybody, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Real Sports presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. Emily Anderson and I are back to cover another sports doc for you, and this week we are covering one and not done, the John Calipari story. This one was a lot of fun to record. We cannot wait to hear what you guys think. Let us know in the show notes. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Search The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The Jordan Doc, The Last Dance, the story of the 97-98 Bulls season is coming out Sunday, and we are going to be covering that. How remains to be seen, but make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. Follow us on Twitter, ThunderBLG is the handle there. Join the Facebook group, Thunderblog Sports is the page, and search The Bullpen Cart Podcast. Join the group. Be a part of the conversation, submit questions, all that good stuff. We do want to dedicate this to Carl Anthony Towns' mother, who sadly passed away because of the coronavirus. But enjoy this episode, guys. This one was a lot of fun to record. And here we go. Welcome to this episode of Real Sports, presented by ThunderblogSports.com, a part of the Bullpen Card podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. Joining me, as always, for this fourth edition, the lovely Emily Anderson. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Doing this on a Wednesday. Yeah. Instead of a Tuesday, we decided to give the listeners an extra day. We got a whole zero questions submitted in from the Facebook group. That's okay. That's okay, because we had a lot of info. You did a lot of deep diving into the John Pal- John Calipari documentary, the 30 for 30, one and not done. Mm, how clever. You sound surprised at it, even though we watched this a couple nights ago. I'm not surprised at it. You went, mm, little Yoda noise. Ooh, ooh. I just your emphasis on the title, I was like. Mm. Well, after I said Palipari, I, I had to come up with <laughs> He's He's my Palipari. Oh, there it is. It's going to be a very pro-Cal podcast from my end, so. Yeah, well. Do you think that's, like, his, like, like the Mike Scott Hive? Do you think, like, The Cal- Palipari's? Yeah, like, that's, like, his fan club. Cal's Pals? Instead of Sal's Pals? Yeah, maybe. What do, do you, you think? Do you know, do you remember Sal's Pals? No. Emily. 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 <laughs> Sal's Pals, for people that don't know, is Sal Fasano's group in right field oh. at Citizens Bank Park. With his handlebar mustache. Who had the pup? Ruppies Puppies. Ruppies Puppies, Randy Wolfpack. That was the original one at Citizens Bank Park. But anyway, we're talking about John (laughs) Calipari. Emily, you're not the biggest college basketball fan. We discovered that with Requiem for the Big East. Right. What did you know about Calipari? What did you expect? Was all that you knew about him was that he produced Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis and a bunch of NBA players? Yeah. So what did you expect coming into the doc? I didn't, I don't know, I just thought it was, I didn't even know he coached other places. Really? I thought he'd been at Kentucky for like 25 years. Oh and you just thought like, <laughs> oh, he, so did you think he went from being this regular college basketball coach to all of a sudden recruiting one and dones? Well, I, I mean, Kentucky's like a blue blood program. I always knew that Kentucky was good, so I just thought that like maybe he was the first one to like pick up on the one and done thing, which he kind of was, but I just thought he was at Kentucky the whole time. Wow. That is, I did not know that. You didn't even tell me that when we were watching. I'm the really doc. just like coming, doing all these college basketball podcasts. I'm really like not making like a good name for myself on my sports knowledge. I feel like well, it's reigniting my love of college basketball. I'm like it made me really sad about the tournament because I really wanted to root for Kentucky. I'm into Kentucky now. Man, with uh, all the mid-majors that were doing so well this year. No, I'm into Emily, Emily taking the the elite program side. I mean, in previous tournaments, I've always, since I, since of Joe, I've been like a bandwagon Kansas person sometimes. For Joel Joe Embiid, for those that don't recognize. Yeah, we're on a first, like a nickname basis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a team. I'm always looking for a college team. That's a always that's a podcast that's still in the tank. Me and Matt pitching you ideas. I want to be. It'll be like Shark Tank. Then I'll be the shark, Ooh. and like you have to like come at me with all these pitches, and I'll be like, "That's a, that's actually a really good idea." I'm full of good ideas. 
Ooh. All right. Put that back <laughs> in the tank. We'll uh, let that in. In the shark more. tank? Sure. Well, <laughs> can we say shark? Are we going to get sued? No, I think we'll be okay. All right. Anyway, let's talk about the, the documentary because it really goes through Cal Perry's life. I figured it was going to cover the UMass days with Marcus Camby, considering that's part of Cal's legacy. I did not realize the brevity of his career and how it started while he was a college basketball player, which they don't really even talk about, but they talk about him and the camp that he attended, not too far from his Pittsburgh suburb home, the five-star camp. Oh, Emily with a ringer on. I normally make Jordy keep it in the hallway. Yeah, my, yeah, my phone's on silent. I literally just What's worse? chucked you it across the your, room. What is worse? We're going to throw this up to the to the fans. Too bad we're not Sports Center Live. Remember those live polls they did? What's worse? Emily throwing her phone in the loud banging. I can see it on the waveforms. Or Matt eating his dinner on the podcast. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah we'll find out. Um... <laughs> We have to face the, the might have to face the wrath of his wife. She got very upset the one time I called him out. On it. Um, that being said, yeah, he he starts really coaching and falls finds this passion at the five star recruiting camp, right outside of Pittsburgh. He meets Larry Brown there while he's at Clarion University of Pennsylvania. Uh, after transferring from UNC Wilmington, mm-hmm. which is very intriguing. Isn't Clarion like up by Erie? I guess so. Yeah, I know it's in Western PA. Um, that being said, he ends up getting a job with Larry Brown at Kansas for his first couple years there and really climbs his way up the totem pole. Yeah. After that, ends back home in Pittsburgh as an assistant coach at Pitt. And that's where the start of his uh, controversies begins. Mm-hmm. But I just want to put it out there that I don't think he's at fault for any of them. Okay. I was like, whatever the propaganda was, this documentary, I'm like fully under its spell. You really, you really bought into it. <laughs> I have. All right, so give us the give us the lowdown on the pit controversy. So it just had to do the Big East. Um, had you know a gentleman's handshake agreement that if they were you know recruiting one player and they had gotten him to agree that everyone else would like stop recruiting him, mm-hmm. and Bobby Martin had agreed that he was going to go to Villanova. And um, at the time, it who was Rolly? Yeah, Raleigh Massimino. Yeah, he was the coach, and he had told him that he was going to stop recruiting another player that played his position, and he didn't stop recruiting him. Mm-hmm. And so Bobby Martin had met Cal at the camp, and really, you know, all of his players like this is what you get more than anything is that all of his players, like he's a player's coach, like not a single one of them has a bad thing to say about him. No, they all love playing for him and they love his like no bullshit style. Mm -hmm. And they all feel that he, you know, shoots them straight, tells them like it is. And so, you know, Bobby Cal had told him that if he comes to pit, you know, they're not going to recruit anyone else. And then he decided to go to pit partly because of that, but partly he says even himself is because of Cal. He wanted to like, work with Cal and, like, be coached by Cal. And lo and behold, when he goes to Pitt, they stop recruiting the other people. Like, he's a man of his word. And, but that was, like, the first thing. And so everyone in the Big East thought he was, like, real shady. And they would, people, while Martin was playing, would be like, how much did he pay you to, like, switch? And he's he, to this day, says nothing. Like, it wasn't about that. It was, sure. you know, wanting to play for him. So. Yeah, so he's there only for a couple years as an assistant for from 85 to 89, or to 80 to 88 and becomes the head coach of the University of Massachusetts UMass. What, 29? Yeah, 29 years old. Um, one of the youngest head coaches certainly at that time and you know, I feel like Brad Stevens might have been younger when he was at Butler, but um, probably ever. But he comes onto the onto the scene hot as the UMass coach. Um and they were real bad. Who yeah, you're right. They, they talk about that. They had won a grand total of five games in the previous two years. A three win season and then a whopping two the previous year. Um and Cal got to work right away and really helped this team rise from the I don't even say the ashes, just from the the dead earth. What's yeah. the best analogy to the use? The dead there? earth. 
Well, yeah, like the the infertile, you know, he sprouted something from the from infertility. I, I, I don't know. He ends up winning. Uh, ends up winning ten games his first season. One of the only times, and I'm scanning through this to see if there is another time that he went under 500, and it is. And it's the only time he's never made a postseason tournament. Hmm. The next year, in the 89-90 season, he goes 17 and 14, goes to the NIT and loses in the first round. First 10-win season in conference, the Atlantic 10. Then ends up going 20-13. and 13, Does not make the tournament, the NCAA tournament. Makes the NIT. And then begins the run of NCAA tournament appearances. Five in a row to close out his career at UMass, including the 30-5 and five season with the 1992 UMass team that played in Philadelphia... Losing to Kentucky and Rick Pitino, two future rivals of Cal at Kentucky, or you know, for for Cal. <laughs> now, ninety-two, Emily, we got to see the Sweet Sixteen game at the Spectrum. You got a little riled up about it. I did because there's a questionable technical <laughs> technical foul called talk, tell in us about the it. game. Well, no, he just gets he gets teed up. For being out of the box. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's like half a step out of the box. Like, it's just silly. Yeah. And the, you know, UMass ends up losing Kentucky, who I asked you at the time, and I was a little, little bummed, and this I really... don't know college basketball. Was you not knowing college basketball. Of Kentucky going on to the Elite Eight and losing in one of the greatest college basketball games, one of the greatest moments, <sighs> maybe the greatest moment in college basketball history, another one we'll talk about in a little bit. And possibly one of the greatest shots in basketball history, that from Christian Leitner. One of the more incredible moments in sports history. Um, man, Drag's going to rake me of my former love of Duke there. <laughs> but that 92 team has been completely loved by people who praise Cal and love it. Pat Forty, in a column for ESPN in 2010, talked about it and saying that Calipari's greatest strength as a coach is his ability to create teams that play together as 1992 University of Massachusetts team remains one of the most overachieving team the minutes, instead of Minutemen, have ever seen. Featuring a shooting guard with range so limited, he only made one three-pointer all season, that of Jim McCoy. A 6'3 power forward in Will Herndon. A left-handed center who stood all of 6'7, Harper Williams. Somehow with that collection of marginal talent went third. 30 and 5 and advanced to the Sweet 16. Because what did he say? Refuse to lose. Exactly. Refuse to lose. That's what they should have called this. Maybe. I mean, we we talked about this a little off air of whether of who really was one and done and, and your thought of where he was with, with doing one and done. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of what he's been known to do now. And refuse to use, refuse to lose almost sounds. Like a survive and advance type of thing, which I was guess. you know that's NC State. Um, so you mentioned that you mentioned the tee up. They end up really becoming this out of nowhere powerhouse where they end up beating UNC in the, to start off the '93 season. '94 they end up getting the number one overall uh, ranking. ranking after beating Arkansas, who you were shocked to see there. Um, Arkansas is like a sports. A university that like should be good at sports and just like isn't, and I don't understand it. Yeah, it's weird. Um, part of it's the SEC West, though. But that's another topic yeah. for another day. <laughs> um, did not realize, and I should have, but I thought maybe BC had a moment that UMass was the first team from New England to ever be voted number one in the college basketball AP poll. Huh. So then comes the big the big name. In comes Marcus Camby. For the ninety for the ninety five ninety six season, the UMass Minutemen, after going twenty nine and five, reaching the Elite Eight in ninety five ninety six, they go thirty five and two, make it all the way to the Final Four, which was played at Madison Square Garden, one of the all time NCAA Final Four logos, Lady Liberty, and it looks like that they you know the clock really ran out on their Cinderella run, if you want to call it that. I mean, they were one seed, but. This this team 
is one of the better mid-major stories out there, and Marcus Camby decides to go out to the NBA, and this is where we first start to see Cal's realization of helping his guys out. Like you mentioned, his players love him, and this is this is where we start to see why. Throughout the documentary, we see it kind of intermingling with different scenes, mainly from this Kentucky team in 2016, um, but we see a little bit of his time at Memphis. It, it seemed like he had the cameras rolling all the time. I don't know if he took a page out of Joe Exotic's book or Joe Exotic took a page <laughs> out of his book, but the camera was always rolling. And Marcus Camby comes to talk to the team. Did not go to Kentucky. He went to UMass. Two stops before Kentucky, but still loves Cal. And we really see why here. He he says to him, you know, you, sh- you know, it's great you're thinking about the team, but that's over. It's the offseason. It's time to think about you. And he says, I'll only come back. If you come back, Coach, Cal ends up leaving to go take a job with the, with the Nets to become their uh, vice president of basketball operations and the head coach. Marcus Camby ends up leaving. Then disaster strikes. So it comes out that Camby had received all of these gifts and hookers and money and mm-hmm. chains from agents, basically, you know, bribery to sign him or for him to sign with them. Yeah, to, to leave college. Yeah, to leave college and, you know, to be one of their clients. And it all of this came out as Cal's leaving, which is always like an air of sketchiness. This won't be the last time that something like that happens. And to this day, Camby says Cal knew nothing of it. And so their final four was revoked and... The uh, UMass had to pay, like, all of these fines and pay the money back to the NCAA. And Camby actually, like, paid UMass back. Like, no one asked him to do this. No one, you know, told him, like, hey, you should, like, you're on the hook for this, not us. Like, I think it, he, like, wanted to do that. So I think that goes a, goes a long way in, like, talking about his character. That he... Camby or Cal? Camby. That he wanted to pay this back. You know, you look at a guy who's, like, was he from West Hartford? It's not, like, a nice area. Yeah. Um, And, like, you're, it's 90, I don't know, in 92, like, do people know as much about the NCAA and, like, all... This is in 1996. 1996, okay. Sorry. But, like, still, still, compared to today... compared to today with everything that we know and the level of money that's coming in for the NCAA itself. I don't think people knew about all that back then. So, like, what is this, like... You know, nineteen-year-old kid to think, like, or to know that like this is all considered like these aren't just like gifts from your mom. Like you can't accept these things. Did yeah, I know that. I doubt he did. I mean, we still have seen how it still many happens. different cases. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Terrell Pryor, that whole thing that ends up with, uh, you know, a lot of people at Ohio State getting fired, and he was taking free tattoos. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff that gets thrown out there that you think is gray area but to the nca it's like black and white hardcore oh yeah i mean crazy. there was a guy who made a who made like a half court shot on college game day oh yeah i remember that he he was did, like a rower or something like he, so random did he get dinged ineligible or did he just not accept the money it was something it was one or the other i think he like accepted it and then got dinged ineligible and then there was like an uproar and the nca was like oh okay it's fine yeah so, something like that so stupid um, but anyway, so Cal goes to the Nets. What do we want to say about the Nets? He was only there for a few years. Yeah, it wasn't super successful. There was, like, an ugly incident using, like, calling... What did he say? He called Dan Garcia, a reporter, a Mexican idiot. Yeah, and you can call someone an idiot for saying something stupid, but there's no need to bring any type of yeah. culture or anything into it. Yeah, any you know, ethnicity, gender anything don't don't bring that in yeah call people idiots right anyway or be nice or just be nice yeah um he did make the playoffs once hmm. he has a career 0-3 record in the nba playoffs since they used to play five game series in the first round then the nba got upset that too many teams were getting upset <laughs> and that's why they now play seven games there you go uh but they lost to the bulls and they show show a little mj it's coming Sunday. Sunday, the last dance. And that'll probably be, some of that film will be in there. <laughs> um, but then the next season, the lockout season, he most notably, um, they show Sam Cassell in there. Didn't seem like they had a great relationship. Um, no. It seemed like he kind of came out of the gate treating them like college players. You hear this a lot about college coaches making the jump to the pros. Most notably Jim Harbaugh when he 
was with the 49ers, that he treated it similarly to how he treated it at Stanford, and that's why he ended up going back to Michigan. Um, and I feel like we hear about this with different college coaches in basketball, too, and obviously here with Cal. Um, it is very interesting, I think, that that can work. It just depends on, like, the growth trajectory of your team. Like, I think of if a, someone out of college had, to bring it back to my areas of expertise, the, like process era Sixers where everyone was like 19 and like messing up and like had no veteran leadership at some point like a college type coach might work with some with a team like that because it's like basically a college team but then who are just making a lot of money sure but when you get into an like an established team with established veterans with like real grown men they don't really want to be like screamed at like you might a college team sure um so I'm looking this up now with Brad Stevens because we mentioned him before. He became the Celtics coach in 2013, and in the first couple years with the Celtics went 25 and, and 57, and then has made the playoffs every year since 40 40 wins in in the 14 15 season, and then has been above 500 since then. Um, so he somehow figured it out, and he was a mid major guy too. Uh, and for the record, to answer our question from before, he took over as head coach. At Butler in 2007, when he was, if I am doing that math correctly, 31. So, so he was a little older than Cal. I tried to Google it. Like, yeah. youngest coaches, I couldn't. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm sure that's uh, some wording on Wikipedia that we could figure out. But anyway, um, did not realize he went to be an assistant coach for Larry Brown at the Sixers for a year. I saw that. Yeah, in, two, in 99-2000. Do you imagine if if I don't imagine Iverson, like, would love him. No. <laughs> I wouldn't but imagine. On that. that note, could you imagine if if there if Cal's face is just like, hey, behind Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue? That'd be amazing. Although that was in front of the Lakers bench, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. But if he's just there in the background, like, oh hey, yeah. <laughs> getting teed up for being on yeah, the get, box. Getting teed getting teed up. But so then he ends up leaving a year later in two thousand. He goes and takes over at Memphis. He's there for nine years. And this is where Cal really well. I mean, really, he did it. You, it, UMass, but he really finds his Calness at the University of Memphis. Yeah. Well, he's starting to get older. He's starting to like grow into his coaching style more. I think, and he's really starting. I think at a at a program like Memphis. I guess. I mean, I'm not sure, but UMass, like you said, is like a mid major. You think it would recruit mainly from the Northeast, where like Memphis, you have a little bit more draw. You have, like, the whole, like, SEC area. You're kind of close to those, like, blue blood programs like Duke, UNC, Kentucky, Kansas. So there's a little bit more going on there. So he can really leverage his, like, ability to create connections to recruit. And that's the one thing that, like, everyone says about him is he's just, like, an amazing recruiter. Yeah, and they start to show him with having guys to help, you know, move and shake a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, it's it's worth noting that he won 20 games or more every season at Memphis. He made the NIT thrice in the NCAA tournament in the other six years. We'll get to those final four years where he really does, you know, some serious stuff. Um, but, he end, but he ends up winning the NIT in 2002, um, then makes the tournament two times, no five, misses the misses the the NCAA, but goes all the way to the NIT semis. Um, really ends up going, you know, going on this run and ends up winning thirty games or more in those final four years, like we mentioned. Um, and he starts to really find these different these different players around the country. But the one thing that, that's interesting, and they start to really emphasize it here, because they did a little bit, but it made sense with UMass, at least for me remembering Memphis back in the day, and how, especially in those final four, the 06 through 2010, um, he really, it makes it seem like he's always trying to get this seat at the table, because he's at a non, you know, power conference he's still conference usa is kind of he wants that blue blood he wants that blue blood and that conference usa is not traditionally blue blood yeah and kind of take it back to record for the big east of why teams started to move into these different conferences to try to 
gain the prestige of their conference instead of gaining it that way. A really good example is like Gonzaga, who's been thrown around. We talked about it in the in in there, but you know, if it's a big question of you know, what if Cal ends up staying at Memphis? We'll talk about him leaving in in a few minutes, I'm sure. But uh, do they become a Gonzaga type that just becomes? And they were for those last four years a team that if they lost in their conference tournament, that they were, you know, maybe not necessarily bursting a ton of bubbles, but there were a few, you know, a team that the team might be sneaking their way into the tournament out of the, out of the CUSA. But we know fun fact. What's the fun fact? I don't know where Gonzaga is. Gonzaga is in Spokane, Washington. If you would ask me, I would say Arizona. And I think the only reason is because they both have Z's in their name. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, it's in Washington. It's in the, it is in the West Coast Conference. I know that Arizona is... I mean, now you tell me it's Washington, and I previously knew Arizona was wrong, but I didn't have a better guess, so I would have guessed Arizona. Uh, that is... That's very interesting. <laughs> I um, so. Well, anyway. So, <laughs> let's rattle off some of the names that came in, because it really... This is where Cal... At Memphis? Yeah, this is where Cal... He refines it at Kentucky... Mm-hmm. But this is where he figured out how to strike gold. Yeah. And they really make it seem like Derrick Rose was the, the first big one that he got. And that's probably the, the large fish. And they had Derrick Rose talking about, who's this guy rolling up in the you know, the Hummer? Like, oh, it's Cal. Oh, man, it's Cal. And the, But as part of that, I want to say, like, Derrick Rose is from, like, and, and Anthony Davis says this later, too, like, a not nice area of Chicago. And Cal, they would be like, hey, we can meet you here, we can meet you wherever, and Cal would be like, no, I'm coming to your house. Like, he had no yeah. qualms about going into these, like, rough neighborhoods and seeing where these kids lived and meeting their families and really, like, integrating himself into their lives. And I think that goes a long way in, like, building relationships. Oh, absolutely. And we haven't done the you yet. That's one that we we have in our back pocket for another day. A few other people on the roster we want to include. But that, that's a theme that they talk about with the U, and it's how that, the decade-long hurricane, as the what-if-I-told-you tagline, refers to it as, that's how it started, was this guy who was not afraid to reach that handout and, you know, make those connections. And that that's really at the heart and soul of this documentary, what it shows. And we'll talk about, you know, a few of the other ones. We, we already mentioned Marcus Camby, but a lot of it really comes in full circle when, it, you know, at the very end of the documentary... Um, but he revolutionizes a lot of things at Memphis. Um, he, you know, he goes on this run and we're, we're kind of going in circles here, but he really popularizes the double dri- or the dribble drive motion, double dribble, double dribble. Um, the Memphis attack is what it was, what it became no- known as. Um, and you know, that, that Derek Rose led team goes all the way to the championship game. Another one of the all-time moments that I was shocked you did not know about Mario Chalmers' shot. <laughs> uh, descended into OT. I mean, I still remember watching that in high school. And that was, man, I mean, that was on the other, that was on a couple weeks ago. And that's incredible. And I only watched, when I was younger, like the Greg Oden. That was a year after Greg Oden. Well, I only, but I only watched that one. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to watch all of these now. I was just like, oh, I want to go to Ohio State. Emily, God, if you went to Ohio State, oh, what? Anyway, we probably wouldn't know each other. Yeah, probably wouldn't. But um, yeah. So they end up losing there. It's the only time he made the Final Four with Memphis, and like we mentioned, he won thirty games and was a one seed in his final four seasons at the University of Memphis. Um, the O nine team ends up getting to the Sweet Sixteen. They got upset, and. He ends up after that season, a few days after their loss. Kentucky gives them gives him an eight year offer. Memphis counters the eight year offer with one of their own, and Kentucky ups their dollar figure by three million bucks. It's enough to get Cal over over the line, and Cal ends up taking over the job at the University of Kentucky, where he's resided I should since then. Mention that he really lobbied for the Kentucky job in '07. Mm-hmm. But they went with Gillespie instead. So then when it opened up again in 09, he was probably at the top of their list. And also when he took that Kentucky job, there's a number of recruits that 
were committed to Memphis mm. that decommitted when he left, yeah. including DeMarcus Cousins, who then went on to play for him at Kentucky. If, if I'm not mistaken, you're allowed to do that. Though. No, I'm saying I'm yeah. not saying you're not. I'm just saying yeah, like yeah, yeah. they wanted to play for him, and a lot of them like went to Kentucky with him. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned it. Boogie, John Wall, these are guys who were on that Kentucky squad in 2010 that made that really should have made a, lar- a larger run than they did. Eric they ended- Bledsoe. Yeah, you're right. Eric Bledsoe's on that team. Um, they end up losing to West Virginia in that tournament. Um, I watched a YouTube video about that. It was about like the Kentucky's rise to dominance, but it was really about that team. And like when it goes back to what you're saying about the cameras are always rolling because yeah. he's talking about how, you know, he's talking to them after the game and you can just like hear everyone crying. Yeah. Like all the players are just sobbing and it's just like in the like background noise of like, sobbing it's yeah. very like disarming which you remember that's the first brad stevens butler year that back-to-back years where they end up going to the, the championship game and losing um and they didn't lose to them they lost to west virginia yeah. huggy bear um before we get too far into kentucky we should talk about Derek rose more though we should talk about Derek rose more what do you want to talk about him um well we should talk about Derek rose and we should talk about dewan wagner oh yeah that's we, we did we didn't even talk about him because jump in I think that that more I mean more they they are both important for two different like pillars of Cal's career so like the Derek Rose story is important on like the sanctions and the sketchiness and all of that stuff and the Dewan Wagner story is important based on his like one and done, being a player's coach, all of that stuff. Okay. So, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, let's do it in chronological order. Let's go with Wagner. So, Wagner... Isn't that reverse chronological order? They were for, Wagner was first, then Rose was second. Oh, right. I want you to coach my nephew. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um... He was, like, was he, like, the number one player in the country? He was, like... He was up there, yeah. The LeBron James of, like, high school players at the time. Like, he was the guy that everyone wanted, that everyone... That, like, could light up a gym, could do all that stuff, and... They didn't mention where he's from. He's from Camden. He is from Camden. Yeah. I see that. Um, but... He... So he ended up going to Memphis because was it, was it his actual uncle or like his fake uncle? I don't think they I don't think they said if it was his actual uncle uncle or not. Worldwide West. Yeah, Worldwide West mentioned him a little bit before, but that was a big uh, big part of movers and shakers. Ends up getting him there, and that was another thing where they a lot of the reporters in the doc tried to try to pin it on Worldwide West of was he the guy that was. You know, doing the illegal stuff for Cal and yeah. the recruiting process. But and he always was there, and people were like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, this, this, this," and like, "No, that there's nothing wrong with what he's doing." Yeah, allowed to be there. But anyways, so Wagner plays at Memphis. He gets he is, is like a one and done. You know, Cal encourages him to go into the draft. Like your stock is high, go, and he does. I don't. He was what pick? He was a sixth overall pick by the Cavs. And then he starts to have, like, all of these health problems. It turns out that he has, like, really bad colitis. He has to have, like, half of his colon removed, like, effectively. I mean, not effect, like, ending his NBA career. Yep. He's, like, no longer, he has, like, a colostomy bag. He's, like, no longer able to play in the NBA. But by Cal encouraging him to go at that time, he was able to make some money. Yep. Like, $7 million, something Cal actually like that. revoked his scholarship. To force him to go to go into the draft. Really? Yep. So, like, imagine if all those health problems had like come up while he was in school, like he would not have made seven million dollars. No, and that's I mean it's something that's talked about with certainly in basketball with one and done, but it's talked about in football too of guys who just had to stay for an extra year and, and end up injured. getting hurt. Yeah. Um, what would that you know what ends up happening with basketball? That's the big debate of one and one and done now of. You know, should we let these kids go out? How long should they be forced to stay in college for? Um, yeah, it, he, I mean, looking at the numbers, too, he was averaging 21 points a game. He was shooting 
he had a he had a his three percentage of the time was thirty one percent, which I feel like was pretty good, especially for college. Um, he was a part of that NIT team, you know, pretty good, pretty good, uh, you know, resume in college there, and ends up having a pretty good rookie year, and then like you mentioned, the colitis. Clytus diagnosis was sad. is sad, and he, he tried a number of attempts to make a to make a return. He did in in 06 get a two year one million dollar contract from the Warriors, which is uh, yeah, pretty nice. But he he ends up getting bought out of his contract after he only played one game for him. Uh, he made a number of different attempts to go in Europe and play there, and I was just back hanging out in New Jersey. Uh, hopefully, you know, some nice money in the bank there, but. Yeah. Pretty sad story. And then, sadly, in a similar ending, but a happier note, is Derek Rose, who you talked about a little bit, was who called it a, you know, a, a not-as-nice place in Chicago that he got recruited out of, ends up having this incredible year at Memphis, goes overall number one to the Bulls, who we, we looked it up. I remember they they hopscotched a lot of teams in 2008. Mm-hmm. They jumped over nine teams <laughs> to get the number one pick, uh, and a lot of people thought David Stern wasn't rigging the the, <laughs> the frozen envelopes of the NBA lottery. But um, I'm just kidding, folks. But that being said, what else do we need to know about Derrick Rose? So there was a there is a Derrick Rose controversy where. Basically, he took his SATs in Detroit, even though he was from Chicago, and it basically came out that he maybe had another person take the SATs for him. Yes. I don't know that anything has ever been proven. I don't think Derek Rose has ever talked about it. He said, am I wrong? So, what ends up happening (laughs) is that the NCAA began to investigate it, and they had the ETS investigated as well um electronic testing service yes the electronic testing service thank you i did not i could not i've find taken it, a lot of ets tests. yeah i couldn't <laughs> find what it stood for um but because they decided to investigate because the ncaa did they sent three letters to derrick rose's family's former address in chicago instead of to his dorm at memphis while he was there to ask derrick rose to verify information on the test because he didn't reply to the letters the ETS invalidated his SAT. This happened even though the NCAA had investigated and reported that they could not find any significant evidence to prove that Derrick Rose did not take his test, innocent until proven guilty. Because the ETS had invalidated the test, the NCAA then was had no choice but to retroactively declare Rose ineligible. And to this day, the position of the NCAA is that Derrick Rose did take his own SAT, and if not for the vacated wins, John Calipari would be the winningest coach in the Memphis Tigers program history, as he would have 252 wins to Larry Finch's 220. Mm, interesting. Which, which, in 2010, a few years later, uh, Calipari, Rose, and the University of Memphis settled a out-of-court case for $100,000 with three attorneys who represented season ticket holders over the vacated wins as part of the settlement. John Calipari... What were they suing for? I I don't know. People, Lawyers can figure out some crazy shit. <laughs> I don't know. But Calipari donated $232,000 of a bonus that he got to a Memphis scholarship fund. So... You know, this isn't really even Cal's fault. I'm sure he's not telling him to go drop, you know, hop on. I believe it's 96 <laughs> is what takes you from Chicago to Detroit. And maybe it's 94. But any, either way, whatever road goes between the, the, the two cities um, to go take it there. You know, it's nice of him to donate to donate that. And, you know, he he's there for his guys. I think that's that's really what it what it hammers home with. Derek Rose. He he was adamant in the documentary that he took it, and he and Kay says he even mentions like Cal's. He said to Cal, Cal says to him like, "You don't have to talk to him. You don't have to tell him anything. Like you don't. It's you're in the NBA. Yeah. It's, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. Cal will deal with all of this stuff back at Memphis, you know, for him. But you're in the NBA. Like look forward. Well, it Cal's already matter. Kentucky when right. all this happens. Yeah, but like he's still probably more than Derrick Rose would have to like 
deal with stuff sanction wise, especially yeah. since he still is working under the NCAA. But sure. Derrick yeah. Rose is out. Just like stay out. Do yeah, your you don't thing. Have to, it's the Pete Carroll. Yeah. You know, he left. He left USC when Reggie Bush started getting investigated. He's with the Seahawks. He doesn't, wor- he doesn't have to worry about any of that shit. Yeah. Um. Now, all that being said, we go back to Kentucky. Yeah. Do you so, think Derek Rose took his own SAT? I'm sure he did, and what does it matter if he didn't or it not? It doesn't. I'm just asking. No, I'm not. I'm not upset with you. I, I hate the NCAA. <laughs> so do stupid I. crap they do. No, and and it's really sad too because you do this to Derek Rose. It's one of his. He was so much fun to watch in Memphis. That Memphis team is great. That was a great Final Four. The only time that all four number ones have gotten there was the first time in history. And have that vacated stinks. It's not like with Patino and all that crap that happened a few years later. Um, where like he's doing crazy shit and letting it go by under his nose. Or whatever he ended up doing. But, you know, and then what happens to Derrick Rose's career... Granted, the plot of Uncut Gems would not have been about KG versus the Sixers if Derrick Rose doesn't get hurt. Uh, maybe then Joel Embiid stars in it. So who knows? Who knows? A month without sports is really I making me go conspiracy it. theories. Yeah, you need to see that movie. No, we'll do it. Um, Anyways, Kentucky. Yeah, so Kentucky shot out of a cannon is what you would describe John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats. Sands for the 2012-2013 year. Cal and the Wildcats go Elite Eight, Final Four, champion on one of the better college basketball teams I've ever watched. Granted, I'm only 30, but or almost 30. But that team... The Anthony Davis team? The Anthony Davis team that loses on a last-second buzzabita, Like, almost the same play that Villanova wins in 2016. Almost that same play at Indiana... They lose that on, and they lost in the final of the SEC championship. Those are their only two losses. It was Kentucky and Kansas. It's the only time I've ever gotten the final right of the two of the two teams and the winner. But because it was just so obvious that it was going to be the two of them. Granted, Lehigh beating Duke helped it. Had to include <laughs> it. But that team was unreal. 2012-2013 was just kind of the season from hell. They go 21-12, and losing the first round of the NIT, which somehow they're a one seed. Robert Morris is an eight seed. And it's played at Robert Morris. Don't know how that happens. But then the next year, what seems to be a season from hell, Kentucky ends up being an eight seed, makes a run all the way to the final, and loses to to UConn, the Kevin Ollie-led UConn team. And kind of one of the crazier seasons was Shabazz, Shabazz mm-hmm. Napier, who LeBron made the heat trade up for, and then LeBron left My- Miami. Yes. Fun fact. Um, and- but Cal... Or that was, no, Cal almost took the cab job, what, the year before LeBron came back? Well, there was a lot of, after the 2012 year, there's a lot of, should Cal take this job? Should Cal take that job? Should Cal take this job? Like, I feel like it got so ridiculous that people were like, should Cal fix the Yankees? Because the well, Yankees hadn't, hadn't made the playoffs. No, I read that the Cavs offered him the job and he turned No, no I'm pretty sure right, David Blatt did. with David Blatt ended up taking it. Oh, oh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but I think, like, the Knicks were thrown out there. The Yankees I was kidding around about. but no, I know. Um, well, I also remember in my head, I think the Yankees almost made the World Series in 2012. But um, anyway, yeah, aside from that, they go runner-up in 14, final four in the Kentucky versus the field, undefeated run. They lose to Wisconsin. Round of 32, so they lose, They they lost as a 27-9 team or 27-8. Elite 8, Sweet 16, Elite 8. But the Kentucky era is defined by, by the name. Done. Yeah, by one and done. <laughs> and some people want to really hate him because eventually... Duke does it. Eventually, Kansas does it. You know, these blue blood names. Now, granted, there are two national champions, both at Villanova, that were not done that way. But a lot of national champions that we've seen come out of this in the ten full seasons since Cal got there are these one-and-done era teams. And Cal even goes on to say that, like, the only reason why it's, like, semi-acceptable now, I mean, people debate it all the time, was because, like, Duke started to do it. It wasn't fine when I did it, but when Duke did it, it was yeah. fine. We also have to remember, <laughs> Kentucky had this dark period in the 2000s where they weren't good. Yeah. So Cal coming in there and getting his dream job, 
and taking all these guys that he would have had at Memphis and it would have been this, you know, team that, you know, they had Derrick Rose, they had Tyreek Evans, they had these guys who, you know, Tyreek Evans, after Cal goes to Kentucky, ends up winning Rookie of the Year. Derrick Rose is Derrick Rose. Um, you know, it's just one one guy. He had Marcus Camby back there. But then he starts having this collection of dudes. He had all five guys get selected in the first round. In 2010, right? In 2010. And he says, like, this is the biggest day in Kentucky basketball history. Yeah. And people lose their shit at him over it. Because yeah. you didn't even win a national championship. Like, this is about the NBA. This isn't about Kentucky basketball, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I read that this is, you know, when Cal... The 2010 team is really how it really changed his philosophy on coaching. He says he's playing for the name on he's coaching for the names on the back of the jerseys, not the front. Mm-hmm. He's like coaching for these guys. He says, you know, our job is to help them get jobs. We're in a college. Kids are going to college to get jobs, and these kids' jobs are going to be NBA players. So let's get them their their jobs as fast as possible. Yeah, Cal watches the Enterprise commercial of whatever percentage of. NCAA Division One athletes go pro and something else and laughs at it. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about with fucking rusted root playing in the background. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you were a, like a computer science prodigy and Google hired you to develop something when you're a sophomore in college, you shouldn't leave and go work for Google. You should stay for all four years and get your education. Yeah, if, if Google thinks you're good enough to go work for them, they're going to do whatever they can. To get you out of there. I mean, circling back to Marcus Camby, those agents did whatever they could to get him out of there, and it's just illegal for the NCAA to do that. Yeah, but like people, I'm just saying people wouldn't lose their minds if that happened. But no, you're if right. it's I, an I, athlete, I'm you. no, yeah. no. But like if it's an athlete, it's like, oh, these are student athletes. Like they're getting, you know, paid an education, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God. Well, going back to the 2014 season, Shabazz Napier. Infamously, is he the one who said he didn't get to eat? Couldn't eat. Yeah, he, he infamously said he couldn't eat. Yeah, um, and then he ended up beating Kentucky. So full circle. Yeah, full circle. Um, man, that was a fun year. But anyway, I mean, one and done's what defines it. But they show the one and done players in in this doc, and they, I'm sure they got a lot more of Anthony Davis aside from two confessionals they give him, or yeah, whatever the documentary version of confessional is. Um, they show Boogie Cousins. They show a lot of these guys give a quick interview. And I'm sure this was all done at the Basketball Hall of Fame where they're filming a lot of this. And while it's showing that 15-16 season run and a little bit of the Memphis stuff, it goes with Cal setting up for him ultimately getting into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And it ends up, and it ends up closing out with his speech. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to get into that now or if we want to wait but it, they show all of his players, and now it's he's almost like it's almost like it was his wedding. Yeah, that he's walking through the crowd and being like, "Oh, this guy." I mean, and he has like he still has the inside jokes with, you know, with Marcus Camby, with Derrick Rose, with whomever in it, and it's incredible to see that in 2015, 19 years after Marcus Camby went to the NBA, that they're still like a father and son or bro- or older brother, little brother, however you want to call it, considering that they're probably not that large. There isn't probably that yeah, large probably of a difference not. in age. Yeah, Marcus Camby graduated from UMass recent, like a tw- 2015, 20, I don't know. Cal went to his graduation. There's an adorable picture of them. Yeah, it is, it is pretty great. Oh. We're going to put it in the show notes. Can we tweet it out? Yeah, we probably tweeted out. Marcus Camby in his like full cap and gown with Cal. Like, it's adorable. I think he has a UMass tie on. He That's does. Really incredible. And he looks so happy. Yeah. But, like, he's a player's got Like, he's a player's coach. And, you know, you're saying he's walking through the crowd and seeing all these guys that played for him. And I went through the current NBA rosters. And do you know how many teams have a player on their roster that was coached by Cal? Uh, you tell me. 20. Fuck. Two-thirds of the teams in the NBA have at least one player that he coached on their roster. Oh, my God. And, like, Ennis Canner, his, like, bio says that he played at Kentucky. He didn't play at Kentucky. Like, mm-hmm. he signed a letter of intent to play for Kentucky, but he couldn't because he made, like, $30,000 in Europe. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But, like, yeah. it's that much of a pride to be able to say, like, I was recruited by Kentucky or I could have played by- at Kentucky, that that's what his college says on 
like NBA.com. Yeah. I mean, anybody, you know, Ben Simmons says he's, you know, only mentions Australia in his intro and he went to LSU and there's a lot of different stuff or the number of different NFL did. players that announce that they went to, that they, where they went to high school or ball so hard university or whatever they say on Sunday Night Football. But they actually didn't go there. He never actually went to Kentucky. I don't think, I think it's Terrell Suggs. I don't think he went to ball so hard university. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I know what you mean. That there's some level of pride that comes. Yeah, you know, level of pride of level of saying that you played for Cal. Or and I, I think could have played a, for Cal. I think that to a certain degree, there's something to be said too of like I went to Kansas, I went to Duke, I went to UNC, I went to yeah. you know up until I don't know. You want to say twelve, ten, eight years ago? I went to Indiana, and they, they've they had their runs. Um, but Indi- you know, Indiana's been a powerhouse. I, you know, I won a national championship at Villanova, which surprisingly not a lot of NBA players that are superstars say that. I mean, that's a debate. Actually, we could have that debate <laughs> okay. now of of you know the one and done versus that because it's happened. Fourteen Kentucky, sixteen Nova, eighteen Nova of intermittent or interwinding with these one and done teams that a couple four year. Four-year programs did end up winning, so they're Virginia. Virginia, I mean, in Virginia with the ultimate comeback. Um, I just have to say, they do say mention that like that Boogie Cousins team that lost West Virginia, like say like you know we've all had our losses and done things in our careers, whatever, but we still talk about that game. And but like at the same time, like I don't know that the Boogie Cousins would trade in his millions of dollars to not to have one national championship. I mean, he doesn't have one, but Nerlens Noel does. Nerlens. Or not Nerlens Noel. Oh, no, Nerlens does have one. But, um... No, no, I, I don't know. He wasn't on it. Uh, I'm thinking of Jaleel Okafor. Yes, Jaleel I'm getting Okafor my I'm getting my, my pre-Joel Embiid process centers, centers mixed up. Um, I think Nerlens was one and done as well. But it doesn't well, always work, uh, you know, with the, with the players that get thrown out there. Because you listed off on our Google Doc of a number of different players on these various teams, and you only listed off two in the 11 12. But team. they went 1 2. They went 1 2, but all four four of the five starters were unanimous McDonald's All Americans in high school. Also, so how. That, and they went in the first round as well. It's yeah. like it's not always a surefire thing. Yeah. How wild is it that Willie Cauley Stein went before Devin Booker? And Trey Lyles, I think, went before Devin Booker in the draft. That is pretty wild. Devin. Yeah, Devin Booker, what a what a fellow. I read something about it, and it's interesting about... 2K what, champion, right? Did he win? I think he won. But the, I know the finals was all sons, and they opened themselves to a lot of jokes of, mm. why why are two-year players so good at video games, huh? <laughs> um, but um, about playing for Kentucky is that you're playing with all of these people with such immense talent that you're not necessarily playing the position that you'll play in the NBA or, like, where your natural fit is. And that kind of happened to Devin Booker is that when he went to work out for the Suns, they, like, put him through all the... Because they're like, okay, we know he's a good shooter, but, like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Because he didn't get to do it in, at Kentucky. Well, that's another thing that... that and But he can. Cal did <laughs> with Kentucky. And I remember watching because they have the, the Champions Classic and Cal, Michigan State, Duke, and Kansas are always involved in this, and they referred to this almost like a hockey line of doing the the platoon style of having guys come in and out, and you're able to have guys mix and match however they want to throw out their team and do it. And it was incredible at the time, and he still does it now, mm-hmm. and he's been incredibly successful with it. It's because these guys are so good. Oh, they're really <laughs> good, obviously, and he's a very good recruiter to get these players there but it's it's i don't know i feel like coming into this i wasn't expecting to be as pro cal as i was coming out of it because and they even show like a flurry and the one that really sticks out was jay Dande on on around the horn set, you know talking about the controversies that surround him and just the stigma that one and done has had for so long and you know what yeah i have and i've in the last however many years have been much less of like, oh, it's ruined college basketball or whatever because of that's just where it is and I'm very pro players getting paid and, it, you know, at the very least for their likeness 
and you know not having teams tweet out get your John Smith jerseys here the day after he makes a buzzer beater like Syracuse did for I think it was for Tyler Ennis um, but you know what go Cal and keep doing your stuff because this guy is he's a incredible basketball mind and he was born to be a coach he was born to think of this kind of shit stuff that He'll eventually probably get get a trophy named after him. He maybe he gets the the Adolf Rupp Award or Adolf Rupp Cup named you know changed to the John Calipari Cup. Yeah. You know and maybe it's the you know the the Cal Dome or the Cal, Cal Pal Center. Um, but I don't know what what else you got. Um, I don't know. I'm just like also like very pro pro Cal too. You know he. He's a very competitive guy, but I think that he kind of sees success in a different way. I don't know that he counts success as, like, winning championships. Mm-hmm. Because well, if he I don't did, think he does either. he would try and make these guys stay. I think he sees himself being successful as his guys being successful. I forget who it is that they show his end-of-the-year meeting with of saying, you better have a damn good excuse if Jamal you say Murray. you're going to that. It was Jamal like, Murray. Okay. Go. Yeah. And then I've read stories, you know, after the, what year was it? I want to say, it's, what, wait, hold on, I got it. This past year was 19, 17, 17 team with like De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. He like, after they lost, he's like, I know we're sad, but like told him Malik Monk and Bam, like, you guys got to go. Like, yeah. I got new, new kids coming in. I got, I got Shay coming in. Like, you have to go make your money. Go declare. Like God, that team was incredible. I love you, but, like, you're... And he even said, like, he stopped seeing it as, like, a freshman year of college and calls it a gap year. He's like, these guys are, like, high school players, and then they've got, like, six months to, like, not live with their mom and, like, do something before they go to their job. Like, that's what this is. This is their gap year. This isn't anything else. And he's just really focused on, like, getting them prepared to do their career well and he says you know he talks to them about financial management he talks to them about all of this stuff and i mean i think that's doing them more of a service than someone who tries to keep them in school for four years and like not teach them that kind of stuff yeah and it costs them money in the long run well they talk about the one that they mention of these guys didn't do it was was wisconsin Mm -hmm. and you know wisconsin has had success they may you know they lost to duke in that final they beat kentucky when they were undefeated and everything, and I think it's it's interesting. I I don't think that they're uh, you know begging their guys to stay all four years if they think they're ready, but Cal embraces that and says, "Hey, you know what? Go get paid and go do this and get after it," um, which I think is commendable that he's taking the side of the players there and that his guy and his guys love him for it. And yeah, I. Yeah, like I mentioned, I, I came into this with a you know not even knowing what to expect coming out, mm-hmm. just because of the the stigma that surrounds Calipari, and maybe that's the point of the documentary was to show show some of the negatives, but put a very very positive spin yeah. on it. But the argument was presented well, and I and I took the bait and and ate it up full. We've both been propagandized. I don't think me as much as you, but <laughs> yeah, you know, um, was the that Kentucky game that they lost was that the the unreal? Or we were we? I think it was like a back and forth. Um, I'm gonna screw this up, so I'm gonna forget. Anything else before we wrap this thing up, though? Um, I don't think so. I've got a fun fact, but other than what's that, your fun fact? So he. I only, he has, I think he has three children. One of them is like a vegan pastry chef. Mm-hmm. And his other daughter is has a PhD in neuroscience. And she has like her own lab at Vanderbilt. And she does all this research on like addiction and how addiction is like a disease of decision making. And how like the science of your brain affects like what decisions you make and like which genes affect like making decisions that, like, lead to addiction, all kinds of stuff, and, like, how and uh, opioids in women and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, and they both, so uh, like very they're both very children. active about attacking Cal haters on Twitter. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, and then his son played for him. Ah. Yeah, I remember that. That uh, There was a lot of, uh, of course, you know, Cal as his kid, kid playing for him and all this stuff. 
But yeah, that Kentucky North Carolina game in the Elite Eight in two thousand two thousand seventeen. I remember watching this. You, me, and your dad. We were about to we were about to move to our first apartment, and we we're watching it at your old house. And I think your dad was helping you pack up stuff, and we just put down everything and watch this game. And there was like it was back and forth buckets being made. Mm. It was incredible. Um, I kind of remember listening to a North Carolina game in the car with the buzzer beater, but I don't know. That might have been it. I think maybe we we hopped had in the car. Lose, yeah, we had. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it was. That, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, man, missing the tournament was uh, just makes me miss the tournament more. I know. I like don't. I had to look it up. Like it, the draft big board has like a Kentucky player going like seventh. I'm like, I don't know any of these guys. I'm not gonna know any of them. Well, it's funny you reference that because he had a run of players going in the first round for a very long time. It wasn't until 2018 that he had a player not go in the first round, which is insane to think about. Of just, probably some of that is development. Chase here? Or no? Uh, no, la- that was last year. Or no, la- or maybe last year was the year that he didn't have a guy go. Uh, but regardless, um, yeah, it just, it just talks about how incredible of a recruiter and the way that he's able to Refine the talent we'll yeah. put it that way. But I think that's going to do it for this, unless you got any other fun facts in the can. Um, No, that was my only fun fact. All right. Well, Emily, thank you. Survivor time. It's 9 o'clock. It you is. Yeah, it's 9 it o'clock on, on Wednesday, so we're going to go do that. I have to do some work. Me too. Um, but I'm excited to watch that. Jordan Doc comes out this Sunday night. We are probably going to watch the first two parts and then do a podcast on it. We haven't fully figured it out, so no promises. We'll probably have another Real Sports at some yeah. point. We'll have to see, like, how the documentary is, like, formatted to see if it, like, makes sense to wait till the end or, like, do every, you know, you never know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so no promises. We'll probably talk about it in the Facebook group. But make sure to go like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Search The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Third and Girl with underscores between are on both sides of the and Jordo Nine and Thunder BLG Thunderblog Sports on Instagram just like the website thunderblogsports.com and join the Facebook group the Bullpen Cart Podcast. We want on questions. Facebook, yeah, we want questions and suggestions. And suggestions, yeah. We want to make sure that everyone can watch these same docs that we're doing. Um, so we found this one is on demand. And like, Apparently it's not on Boston Xfinity On Demand. Well, if you're in the Philadelphia area, it's on Xfinity On Demand. Maybe our listeners in Boston could give us a good suggestion of one that's on their On Demand. Ah, that's a good call. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it. For Emily Anderson, I am Jordy Cannell. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Go Birds. Go Flyers. <laughs>